Sign up for our Discord channel. This is Groundhog Day, but we need to get up to 50,000 members immediately or we will see the disappearance of Chris Yang. And it's a shame because a lot of you guys say that you love him, but clearly you don't. <laughs> We're running out of time, folks. Oh, my God. Sign up. Sign up multiple accounts. But when I say multiple accounts, they got to be real people, not bots. Save Chris. Let's start the hashtag. Save Chris. <laughs> it's a great place. It's a great companion to all the content we've made past, present, and future. We're going to talk a little bit about some of that content today with our guest. And... Uh, all things Momofuku at shop.momofuku.com. We have a ghost chili pepper crunch. Ghost crunch. <laughs> ghost pepper chili crunch. Hot honey out right now. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited about all of the development and the support we're having for our noodles and our other pantry items available at places like Target and Whole Foods Nationwide. And you can get that at shop.momofuku.com. And on our Discord channel, we have... Nice discount codes for Cook Any Day, Cometeer, and Momo, and that list will be, be growing. Anyway, let's get on to the show. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. It's real cash that never expires or loses value. Apply for Apple Card in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Daily cash is available via Apple Cash Card. Issued by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC, or as a statement credit. Terms and more at AppleCard.com. Thank you, Yola Tango, as always. Oh, just reversing everything. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Rigor Podcast Network, and uh, thank you all at Tango, twice. We're, um, I guess these are going to technically be pre-opening diaries, but I think part of what we're going to be doing as we build out the studio and where we're taking Major Doma Media is trying to get to a point where everything is real-time, everything is as transparent as we can be. Clearly, we'll always have exceptions uh, because of partners, etc., and and get you guys the community involved so you we're we're building this together and this being in case you didn't listen to the previous episode we are building a kitchen studio in downtown los angeles that will become the major domo media headquarters from whence from which we will be producing all of our podcasts much more digital video all kinds of stuff we have been working on a lot of things over the past three years, some products that are finally going to be coming to market over the next year plus, a lot of things with the, the Momofuku team as well. So and, and a, a, a host of growing partners. So yeah. all kinds of stuff that I can't really talk about because we're still figuring out exactly how it's going to be. Yeah. Then we are nervous and excited. And we, uh, we have a guest here today. Usually, we, so we have, we have like a couple of elusive, shy partners at Major Domo Media. We like to stay off the microphone, but for, we've, for good reason. <laughs> One of them can't find the recording studio because he's always got his transitions he's lenses. Too, and also, you know, these guys are too beautiful. Yeah, they don't have the face for radio. They have the face for cinema. But we've we've wrangled one of them in to talk a little bit today. It's like you said, Chang. This is a pre-opening diary. We're going to show all the, the warts and everything of, of pulling this out, but Dave O'Connor, a.k.a. Doc. What's up? 
warts and everything here. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to show the sneezes and all. I mostly stay away because Dave is so allergic to my presence that he (laughs) breaks into sneezes. Sneezes every time I show up. So I met Doc years ago when he was at Radical Media. And you may know Radical from what kind of shows? Radical does an enormous amount of content, um, but lots of big documentary and documentary television shows. You may know him from such memorable TV shows as World Series of Poker. Mm-hmm. Um, Real Sex. <laughs> Taxi Cab Taxi. Confessions. <laughs> no. Cash Cab. Those All the cabs. True, Anything the that ever World happened in a cab. World Series of Poker is true and a bunch of other things. And, and uh, Radical is one of the bis- biggest in the business. And Doc has the most TV creation experience. So he's been responsible for... Um, he is sort of our, our point person for all things streaming, all the things we're making for Hulu, and he's based in New York. I think when we had this idea, I think it was a shift for all of us because it was it was a choice that we're, we we had to make. It was a choice that we're still making. We're not getting out of making scripted, not scripted, unscripted television yeah. again. Scripted television because of the bear, so many inbounds happening. Uh, I, I don't think that's in our immediate future Mm -hmm. but i mean how many shows do we have that are going to come out the next year two we have right now let's see three that will be coming out in early 2023 where are they early to mid 2023 we We have uh we have our our big game show that we shot Uh, in atlanta uh we have a pretty spicy fun alternative format that just finished filming in New York and what we're shooting right now. Well, I mean, Doc, so I guess one thing maybe you could sort of, you could answer for everybody. Dave's talking about this choice we're making to sort of bet on ourselves, open the studio, make digital content that we control for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. Like you, you have the most experience in, in the, on the TV side of things, the streaming side of things. Like, what, what, what does it mean to like get more control by doing it yourself? Like what's the difference between what we're trying to do in the studio and say like making a TV show and getting it on the air? Well, I think at the first point, it's about believing in an idea and just doing it. TV and all media really has a ton of gatekeepers. Often you spend, you have an idea, you work on the idea, you Per Dave's process, you know, you you kind of rip it down to the foundation, rebuild it. You think it's great, and then you start tearing it down again, and you try to be your own harshest critic. And eventually, you build something, usually with a partner, whether that's a filmmaking talent like Morgan or a production company like Leftfield or Alfred Street or some of the other places we work with Vox, and you feel good about it. You've got the right package attached. You've got talent, you've got casting, you've got locations, and then you bring it to a buyer, a a distributor. Then the distributor, either, even if they like it, then you're into weeks, if not months, if not sometimes years of conversations, refining it, changing it, tweaking it, dealing with their own brand and what their programming strategy is and trying to take your idea and craft it to something that they want. And the main reason you're doing it is because they have an audience and they have money. And 
you're essentially eliminating 90% of that process, a lot of time, and you're also eliminating a lot of money and mm -hmm. uh, a lot of access to eyeballs. So you've got to build, you've got to figure out how to build an audience and you've got to figure out how to pay for it. But you don't have to worry about whether or not somebody else thinks it's a good idea. Yes. So on the plus side, you can move quickly, quicker. You don't have to, like, if, if Dave says tomorrow, like, guys, everything on TikTok today is about cooking steaks. We need to, like, plant our flag in this today. Like, well, we can do that. The streaming landscape has changed so, so much. When we first pitched doing shows years ago, right? Believe it or not, Mind of a Chef was supposed to be an app called Lucky Peach. Turned into the magazine. They got separated in Mind of a Chef as well. We never really talked about it, but like Bourdain and I were going to do a show called uh, YouTube years ago. We're doing mm -hmm. the first content creators. Remember that? Mm, yeah. It was going to be called Ronin. Mm -hmm. I remember that. And uh, they, they, they decided not to go with us because <laughs> they wanted one more. The like to get one of those original channel yeah. deals. Yeah. Yeah. Which none of them exist anymore. No. Um, so we, we did a couple of those at Radical. They're still up. But we've, you know, nobody created any fresh content for it. And the idea really was that YouTube was going to have a hundred channels all curated. They literally said they went to everybody in Hollywood and in New York. They had a hundred million dollars, and the initial plan was we're going to give a hundred people. We want you to pitch us a channel, and we'll give a hundred channels a million dollars each to launch. Everybody scrambled. Everybody yeah. scrambled to pitch ideas to put in front of them. And they had verticals that they wanted to hit. Food, automobiles, yeah. sports. And, you know, our friends at now at The Ringer, um, Bill and Dave Jacoby and everybody Juliet, was, they put something out for Grantland. And, you know, so everybody was it going was crazy. To, to pitch a channel. And for us, it was food. And it was weird to be in a pitch with Tony. But it was right after his deal with uh, Scripps is done. And this is before CNN. So it was like sort of in limbo, not yet limbo, but it was like, okay, this is what might happen. And I remember thinking that Tony was, I don't remember exact conversations, but it was appealing to him to have complete freedom to do whatever the fuck you wanted to do. And that's one of the, the great sort of pluses to doing something on your own. Not only do you potentially own your content, the distribution is completely different. You have the freedom to do whatever the hell you want to do. And depending on the streaming service or the network, you don't have that because you have people whose jobs are on the line to make sure that it's aligned with the principles and philosophies, with the programming, advertising, et cetera, et cetera. So it was a completely different model. And I think there were so many pitches, they wanted it to be collapsed into like one giant one. So we had had to work with a few people that we didn't want to work with. So he said, fuck, fuck this. We'll, we'll come back to it. And we never really did. But I don't think at that time, anyone thought that YouTube was going to be what it is today. I no, mean, and I think like one of the things that's really interesting about just the context of how much the landscape has changed since then is Tony's deal with scripts expires and he goes to CNN. Today, both those networks are owned by the same company <laughs> and all that stuff. If they want, if he wanted to go to a different network within that company, they would just literally change the brand, but it would be on the same app. And meanwhile, Google owns YouTube. 
And actually, it's a stable platform. Compared to most of the media landscape, YouTube has changed less in terms of control and mandate than anything. But what has changed a lot more is the technology, the barriers to entry and the technology to create your content and get it up have drastically diminished since 2013. And people have learned how to make stuff that works for the platform. So YouTube, if anything, is more powerful than ever. And the rest of the media landscape is completely insane right now, but YouTube is very stable. So it's, it's really... It's really fascinating to see how much change happens in a decade in this landscape. So fast. You know, I didn't, we didn't think too much of it. And I'm sort of giving us a, a sort of a, a history to where we got to this point. And, uh, you know, Mind of a Chef was on PBS. I think it did really well. Like, it is whatever it was. But I think we helped create that mm-hmm. uh, sort of genre of doing it. Um, once we had Morgan, we knew that, like, we were going to get a show made with an Oscar-winning director. Can we talk about Morgan for a second? Yes. The first time you met Morgan... Was with you guys. Was with oh, me. Yeah, let's tell the story. This is great. <laughs> the, I, uh, I was at Radical. We had developed a project with none other than Coach K. Yeah. And it was with HBO... It's, uh, you know, whatever the uh, non-disclosure agreements have have lapsed by now and everybody who cared is fired, long since fired. <laughs> so <laughs> um, we had this show and it was basically Coach K on leadership. And I had met Dave a handful of times through the years, but we weren't close or anything. And I I went down to Durham to sit with Coach K. It was the most nervous I've ever actually been in my entire life. I, I was like, I talked to a lot of famous people in my job. Coach K, the m- most winningest, most successful coach of all time outside of maybe John Wooden. And literally have, you know, he at the time was still a, the head coach of Duke basketball, which I was, was never a fan of. But I've seen this guy on TV since I was a little kid. And he's an intimidating dude because, you know, he was a military guy. He worked, he coached at Army. I go into his office and I just freeze. I'm like, holy shit, Coach K. I'm not, I don't belong in a room with Coach K. And in order to get into his office, you got to go through like all the accolades. It's like a mausoleum to a fallen hero or something. And we're talking about the show and eventually come up with a format. And the format is essentially like Coach K meets a great leader from another industry and they exchange ideas. It was like, well, let's go talk to Steve Wynn. I'm like, uh, you, you could talk to Steve Wynn. That's, that's cool. But maybe somebody younger and <laughs> who's a little bit not in your circle. And we we hit upon Dave. And What a weird... Somebody was <laughs> microdosing for that meeting. Macrodosing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the call came in and I was like, I love sports. Uh, I was the hugest fan of Duke. If anything, if I'm in the triangle, I'm an NC State, the, the, the UNC guy. <laughs> So I was like, yeah, that's fucking insane <laughs> and surreal. So we do it. We shoot for like two days. Coach K comes on New York. They're the Big East tournament was there, I think, happening too. Or the- uh, it was, I think it was that holiday early New York tournament. So they, we they went lost. Started, yeah, they lost. That yeah. was not a good thing. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this move. is going to be weird. Right. Was, wait, Morgan was shooting this? Is this? Yeah. yeah so okay, I, yeah. yeah, we hired Morgan to direct the pilot. And Morgan and I had worked together once. Dave 
and Morgan instantly hit it off. And within like five minutes, Morgan was like, this Coach K show is cool. I'm going to work really hard on it. But hey, Dave, what are you doing for dinner? Yeah. Let's go talk. So he came over to my apartment later that night and we just sort of hashed it out. That ultimately became the template for Ugly Delicious that we went out and pitched. But that show with Coach K was fucking weird. I loved it. It was literally two opposite individuals and Coach K scares the shit out of me too. Mad respect. <laughs> but I was like, I'm talking to Coach K and he's an aggressive whisperer. He was. <laughs> he's an aggressive whisperer. I still have this notebook that I was using to take notes while we were filming and you and Coach were talking at the, at the bar, at the noodle bar and Coach was like trying to compare what you do in the kitchen and how you direct traffic in the kitchen to him designing a play on the court. And he grabbed my notebook and just opened it up and diagrammed a play in this notebook. And I was like, oh, dude, I'm never throwing this notebook away. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he grabbed it and just like hearts all around Coach <laughs> He's K. Awesome dude, man. He, he's seen a lot of things. He knows so much about sports in general. So, yeah, you know, I didn't, I didn't think much of it. I was like, even if it didn't get picked up, I was like, I got to hang out with Coach K for like two days. It was pretty sick. So that was it. And then, you know, Morgan comes and we pitched this idea. And at the time, Mind of a Chef was on Netflix. And mm -hmm. I saw a dramatic difference. I was, still wasn't really watching anything. I was just working all the time. People were watching Mind of a Chef and all the seasons on it because that's it was airing. It's not on there anymore. And I was like, holy shit. I guess people watch Netflix. Like a lot of people. I Some, mean, it's interesting because food on television you're losing two of the most essential senses for food, right? Like you can't taste it and you can't smell it. And yet, because food has been on a part of television since the beginning of television and audiences have learned, we all know how to watch food in a way that makes sense to us. And our friends over at Imagine Entertainment did a great doc about Julia Child watching some of the early days there She's just cooking in a kitchen. If she drops her uh, hairnet into the soup, she just scoops it out and keeps cooking. And that's in the show because they didn't have editing capabilities the way they do now. But they owned, they were able to do something that was theirs, right? Very much so. Even though it was on PBS, you're able to have, because it was PBS, they could just be them. Almost unfiltered, mm -hmm. right? Without curse words, right? Mm -hmm. But you're right. Like it was the beginning of something. And I think, the key to me was they were able to have ownership of who they were and what they wanted to do. Maybe a slightly less distribution, but look, we're people making fucking documentaries about Julia Child, yeah. you know, who wasn't a great cook. Yeah, right. That was the whole point. She just had good taste. She knew a certain expertise that a lot of people don't know. So, you know, I didn't understand that at the time. And if you look over the past five years, you have people that have taken that approach. But like Mark Ween of Migrationology, he has like 9 million plus subscribers. You have a, a couple other food shows that Morgan's kids watch. And I was like, what the fuck are you guys watching? And I'm like, so what they've done is they've gotten these, these creators have gotten their 10,000 hours and they probably wanted to pitch these shows to major streaming networks, but it was not on brand or too amateur enough. Mm -hmm. And what happened in that period of rejection is they just kept, kept on making it. shit and, and building their audience and getting better and more sophisticated 
And like you watch some of these views on these shows where they're 15 minutes, to 20 minutes. That's way more than any travel show on, say, uh, a scripts network. Mm -hmm. It's like crazy, the numbers. Yeah. So for me, I was like, I want to continue making stuff for these networks. Uh, it's an honor. It's a privilege. And it gives us a platform that we couldn't really do it on our own. Right. But I've talked to other friends and they're more on the scripted realm. And they're like, they don't own anything either. Mm -hmm. No one owns anything. No, you're, you, you come up with the idea, you pitch it to a network, they buy it it's, and they buy it. Yeah. Like, it's awesome. It's theirs. It's, it's really great. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. We yeah. still are going to do this. It's a fucking amazing thing to be able to get chosen to do something like that. But you but, are a work for hire on your own project. And that you is, don't own it. it. And I think ownership of stuff is so important. And I didn't think when we started this, we would be doing so much media. And we're not going to change that model. Mm -hmm. But what is most attractive of something, say YouTube or even TikTok or any of these other social media platforms, you can own your fucking content, which is... So fucking important if you're doing it enough to have a library of content that is yours and you own it outright. But that's ownership isn't the economic model of profit for these, you know, yeah. YouTube and stuff. It's all media and distribution. So it's like, it doesn't matter. It's not going to change. It's taken me some time to realize that. And when I did, I was like, we got to fucking make our own studio and make our own content and do it side by side, traditional streaming and all of these other shows that we're making, which quite frankly, take a lot of our fucking time yeah. and Doc's time. So that was the, that was the genesis of that is like owning our audience and owning our library and owning what we're allowed to say and to do. So that's the part. So Doc, you said something earlier that's interesting, right? Like TV audience, since, since food has been on TV since day one, you said people know how to watch food on TV, meaning, you know, like they know how to fill in the gaps of what's happening, right? Like, right. If a, if, a, if a person from the 1600s was put in front of a TV and watched like food programming, they'd be like, where did that chicken just come from? Yeah. Is that good? What How happened just now? Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's going on. Like you fill in the gaps, not only in terms of taste and, and, and visual uh, and smell, but also like. We have, there's a there's a visual language to how how food television works, right? Like everybody knows that if I put this raw chicken in an oven and I pull a cooked one out, like what happened just then? Yeah. But the other thing that happens is like streamers, whoever, like networks, all, all, anybody who like makes makes food television is also trained to do it in a certain way as well. Right. So I think I think that's really interesting. And Dave, for example, you know some of your frustrations with the process of television food is there's a lot of, I mean, you're, you, you're a fan of uh, sandbagging, but like there's a lot of sandbagging. There's entire culinary teams prepping out the meals, cooking, as Chris said, a chicken in a different oven so that you save time on camera. And you can make a great show that way, but it is bullshit. It is not real. It is not authentic cooking start to finish. It's not Julia Child. Right. Fucking up. Right. Yeah. So that's the thing. That's the, the, the being able to show the fuck ups is you're never allowed to show a fuck up. And I'm not putting this at the, I'm not, when I say like, oh, the networks and people who make it, I'm not blaming them for this. I'm just saying like, if you walk in the room and you're saying like, but what if we don't, what if we just show them like this raw chicken? Well, there's like, why would we do that? Well, that's the thing is for the content that was being made and it's just sort of, I guess in the philosophy of what I do and what major domo does is just trying to be as honest as possible. And you know, I, I feel like during the beginning of the pandemic, when we were just trying to figure out what to do, I, I didn't even re understand that that was just 
right, I shouldn't have just put it on Instagram. You know, there's other platforms. And I was just intimidated by doing something on YouTube. But I think I would not have thought this way if it wasn't like, oh, every one of us that's now in lockdown can create content and with the same access as everybody else. Everyone's on the same playing field. There's no more content being made for like a year. Yeah. So everything was on the same playing field. And that's when I was like, oh, fuck. This is the game-changing fucking moment right now because if you get the reps in and you can build your audience and you can connect with your community, then you have complete autonomy and freedom. To me, that is why people start their own businesses, to choose how to express themselves when they want to express themselves. And it took the pandemic for me to realize something that younger people, you want to say younger, I mean people that have been doing it on YouTube for some time, figured out long before He's like, shit, I can do whatever the fuck I want to do. I know that sounds simple, but it was like a holy fuck moment for me, which is why I was like, hey, guys, we still have to do all these shows. I'm excited to do them. But can we sort of simultaneously start this other platform that we none of us know how to do? And I wanted it done immediately. And I was really frustrated that we couldn't just do it, understanding that we were all living in different places at the time and we were scared out of our minds of what the fuck was happening in the world. But like... To see that we're finally getting there now is, is amazing. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. Well, let me start with this. Because uh, let's because I want I want to bring us into the, the this is the start to the Jesus present Christ. here. Yeah, this is just the beginning of the podcast. Well, three, two, one. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show. Uh, Dave, describe briefly, like what it is you want to make from like I, I mean literally from the level of like what do you want a cooking show to look like? That what's the first experiment you want? Listen, make? this gets back to you know when we're talking about ghetto gastro or anything we've done. You have to have something to say, and everyone has their lane. And I, I want us to sort of make content like Chris Bianco makes pizza. It's, it's familiar, but it's ours. That's for me. I hope to have other people that are using our studio and the, the, so the plumbing that we've created so they can do what they want to do. Because what I make is not for everybody and vice versa. But like if we can get a bunch of people to do that, listen, there's a few, I, mean, I would imagine a few companies trying to do that already. So this gets back to how I think about making recipes or restaurants or even sports teams in general. Like everyone's got the salary cap. Everyone has access to the same players. In New York, everyone has access to pretty much the same ingredients, the same blah, blah, blah. What separates anybody? It's execution. It's point of view. Yeah. And it's like all of that is basically adding to something to say that's unique, engaging, entertaining, and ultimately connects with people. But that quality can be fractured into a variety of ways, as long as the content is good. And it got me thinking, like, how do we differentiate ourselves from any, anybody else? And as I've looked at a lot of things, as I've thought about food in a variety of different ways, this is very similar to when I thought about Momofuku to begin with. How do we strip away all the fucking bullshit? How do we get to the essence of something that's good, that's a, that's a value do I need a uh, Somali with a taste bin? Do I need a tablecloth? Do I need all this other shit? No. 
I mean, it's not going to be too, that austere in terms of this approach for media, but it was more of, let's make the assumption that you can't make the assumption that everybody that's making food on TV knows how to cook. Mm-hmm. In fact, I don't know what the number is, but it's a pro- probably substantial percentage of people that don't know how to cook their way out of a wet paper bag. And I don't, I don't joke about that. I think that it's auto-tuned in the sense that I could fucking sing with auto-tune and auto-tune's great, but I don't, I shouldn't be singing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And auto-tune in food media is editing. It's fucking crazy. Now I know the power of editing just on making TV shows. It's like, okay. And it's interesting to me, if you think about it, has anyone seen a loaf of a brioche? Just naming a type of bread made from start to finish? No. Has that ever been recorded? <laughs> probably not. And probably nobody's ever watched it. And if it was, it was a time lapse and you're just seeing it in a 30 second version so, of it. So right? what you're talking about is acapella cooking. No, no not even acapella. I, I, for me, it's like, again, to me, this is this thought process is how I think about a lot of things. It's like, okay, so why did that happen? So for example, if you go back to Top Chef, why every food reality show is of the lineage of Top Chef, it's because they created it first. Mm-hmm. And that becomes how it's always done. No one really questions how now you're seeing it where the fourth wall is being broken. We're doing that ourselves. And it becomes an institution, rapidly becomes an institution right. where everything has to fall in line. And if you think about food, what happened? So you have PBS, people like Julia Child, Martin Yan, Jacques Pepin, they're explaining to an audience that never heard before. Then you have Food Network, it becomes commercialized. And having now done these shows myself, I was like, I don't know how many times I've made pork buns on TV, but it's show don't tell. And it's like, what takes literally seven hours all in, probably seven, 10 hours is now done in seven minutes. That instant, instant process, I think is okay, but also not. So all food TV is now becoming from this, this lineage of let's edit the fucking shit out of it. And anything that is not beautiful, anything that's a mistake, anything that does advertisers may not want to be associated with in terms of blunders and shit like that. Let's cut out. Not Again, to mention time. Time. It's expensive. But also, here's the reason why. Not a lot of people that can cook can cook live. Right. Yeah. Because making TV is fucking expensive. You also need to have the ability to talk and cook. And if you talk to people that staff TV shows with talent, the main complaint is, fuck, this person's amazing, but I can't have them open their mouth. Mm-hmm. So the, the air, the, what happened was you have a lot of people that are like, sort of like creating like, not say boy bands, but you're manufacturing a band on the looks, their aesthetic and their cuisine to match a certain part of the demographic. And we're going to make them look fucking amazing. I think one of the things that is is really fascinating about that all is is like the traditional stand and stir dump and stir cooking show right like when the the raw chicken goes in and then it comes out cooked and no time elapses they're always focused on one dish one thing one start to finish of one thing at a time and we're going to take out all the all the middle bits and you're just going to see the steps and one of the things that i love about your concept of live cooking of real-time cooking cooking without a net is not just that we get to see the messy bits it's that okay the chicken's in the oven 
now what? Now what's happening? Like, what else am I doing while I wait for 30 minutes it's for the chicken realistic. to come out? Yeah. And night, that's how you cook at home. Yeah. I cook a lot. I'm not on your guy's level, but I cook a ton of food for my kids, for my family. And there's never a time that I'm sitting in the kitchen waiting for a chicken to come out of the oven. I'm doing 43 other things while that's happening. And that's what I want to see. How do I organize that? And what scares me on that, the, 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 the leap of faith that has to happen for us is that everything is now so edited that the audience wants that. The bet is, do they want the alternative? Mm -hmm. I don't know. And that's why I'm fucking scared mm -hmm. because it's hard. It's not going to be so super clean and cut. It is very much how we do things, whether it's ugly, delicious, or the restaurants we do. It's pretty contrary, I would say. It's dawned on me that almost everything that is done in food television is based on unrealistic expectations on an environment that doesn't fucking exist in a world where there's unicorns. Well, going to going, I mean, like relating this to your last cookbook, like cooking at home, like this is the same thing too. Like learning how to follow the steps in an ideal scenario, bit by bit. I have all my mise en place, plossed out, ready to go. Everything's going to go right does not make me a better cook. And you watching me do that doesn't make you a better cook. What makes you a better cook is like, oh shit, this person who I know to be a good cook. I'm watching Dave Chan cook like, oh shit, he totally forgot to do this step. He totally forgot this ingredient. What does he do in that scenario now? That's where I learned something else. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's because you are doing other things. Just think about this. Anybody that's cooking, even if you're only cooking a grilled cheese sandwich, there's other fucking things happening in your life. Your kids are screaming that your kid needs a snack while they're waiting for the grilled cheese sandwich. Like you need like something else is happening. You're or you had a shitty dinner. work call or whatever. It's like right. you're distracted. You have life stuff happening. And the life stuff is one of the things that gets completely fucking edited. Right. I think it's unrealistic and I think it's useful, but to a degree. But when you think about the usefulness, we already have a, enough of that. You just go on social media. TikTok is like. I think it's like a Wikipedia now. All you have to do is yeah, put something tips, in tips, and tips. you see the visual Wikipedia. Yeah. YouTube, I don't know how many people can say, like, if you want to say cook a fucking steak, there's a lot of ways to cook a fucking steak by a variety of different people. But does anybody have a video about how to cook a steak while you're on a conference call trying to get dinner in 15 minutes while your kid is screaming and needs a separate snack and your other kid needs a different meal to be made? Can you make a stack under, steak under those circumstances? I don't know if we'll ever get to that point of complete transparency in the reality, but we're going to try. That's my goal. And again, I don't think we'll ever get there, but that's, that's a constellation to sort of work towards. And there's a lot of thought to, to getting there, but... I mean, to start out, we're just slowly trying to dip our toes into making things a little bit more realistic, a little bit more real. And again, part of it is just questioning the assumptions. This is like the same thing when I think about MSG. Why is it bad? Oh, culturally, some racist fuck said it was, and actually it's not. Most people consume it all the time. And using that sort of questioning mentality, it's like, okay, People that program this stuff may not want this, this, and this because they have the data that says this is the audience that they want to reach, but like that prevents anything new from happening as well. And then they'll say, oh, we don't want live television or we don't want this kind of mistake or we don't want this kind of engagement on your show because of X. It's not going to reach a larger audience or whatever, whatever. And I have to ask myself, that's only because it's never been done. Mm -hmm. It's an assumption that it is because honestly, it hasn't. But like you said, you have your fear is we're making this bet. 
Like we think that this would be interesting. We think this will be cool to see. The fear is maybe people don't want it. Maybe, maybe people just do want people the are making version. People think that we're moving towards real life. Mm-hmm. It's I'm telling you right now in food media, it is fucking not. Yeah. <laughs> it is it is make believe that it is. Just because someone's cooking in a home kitchen doesn't mean it is. There are a lot of really great content creators that I follow that I can tell know what the fuck they're doing. It is like unequivocally they know. And if it happens to be polished and happens to be edited, fantastic. I'm not saying that shouldn't go away. I think we're, we're trying to find is a different way of doing it as well. Because, you know, this is how powerful editing is in terms of the perspective that the creator can show the audience. If you watch Hell's Kitchen and you see these two cooks trying to make their duck breast or whatever fucking item they're making and they're in the weeds, have you ever noticed what else they're cooking? They're only cooking that. Yeah. They're only, there's like 16 fucking people. Yeah. In reality, it should be three people. It reminds me of when we had a restaurant at cooking school. There were four people per station. In a real restaurant, you, you're lucky to have one per station. Mm-hmm. It's make-believe. I'm, I, what scares me again is, do people want the make-believe? Yeah, I think they do, but maybe they don't. I don't know, and that's the bet. And I see something that people see as a, a real-life kitchen. It's extremely successful, but I'd love to see somebody actually like cooking other fucking things. Cause in real life, you're not just cooking a duck breast, one duck breast every Never. fucking 30 minutes. So, yeah. So this is all going to happen soon. Like we are going to have media coming out and all and, and what we just described as al- alternative distribution platforms. This mm-hmm. is all happening. We are literally going to start shooting before our studios. Public done, access in, in, in two weeks. I mean, doc, like, Dave just sort of uh, uh, articulated his 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 fear about it is like we're betting that the audience is there. Maybe they're not. Like from the perspective of the guy who like has been making this stuff longer than us, who is going to be in charge of how we make this stuff. Are you apprehensive from the production side of things of of the side of like making this? Is there something that Chang doesn't see in terms of, or maybe like pitfalls you're worried we're going to stumble into if we're going to do this live 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 you know no net type of TV making. I mean, it broke my brain into pieces to think about it. It took me a long time to come around to the notion of doing it this way, trying it this way. And there are structural reasons for that. You know, there are, there's ego reasons for that. Um, There's a lot of things that factor into my resistance to that concept. But I do feel pretty confident that, you know, it, when I get into the nuts and bolts of how it gets made, I'm like, well, this is a hell of a lot easier. This, this is a easier lift from a production standpoint than mm-hmm. charting and tracking and pacing all of the steps in a recipe, breaking it down into segments of a show, figuring out what's happening in the background, what's happening in the foreground. That's complicated. It's difficult to make it look simple. This is way easier from a production nuts and bolts standpoint, I think it's the degree of difficulty to me and the, the fear that I currently have goes back to Dave's kind of second coda of what matters and its point of view. And I know I've seen Dave cook live enough over time that I'm like, yeah, Dave can do this. There probably aren't that many people like Dave who can do this, but that's okay. We can figure out other ways to do, to help them share their point of view with the world. But 
can we support you, Dave, in giving you enough, uh, churning out enough of this to build the audience, to grow the audience, to continue to feed the beast? Because we all know nothing on the internet lasts, even if it's there forever, nobody cares the second they consume it, it's gone, you know? So you have to continually feed the beast. And can we keep having something to say all the time while constantly putting up new stuff? And that's where I, I think that's where I get apprehensive. Uh, that's where I get fearful. Um, that's where my leap of faith is. And uh, that's where I think a lot of the work that comes out of the editing room moves into that part of the process. And it's about thinking it through before you start and doing much more hard work up front. And then when you're on camera, it's just switching between angles. To a degree, yes. But that spontaneity, that pulse that I like to talk about in restaurants, like I want this show to have a pulse where every day it's different. Every day is a challenge. And even every day, if you're making the same thing, it's not the same because like, you know what? I'm going to try it this way today. Mm -hmm. You know what? Today I'm going to add, you know, no egg whites to the pasta. I'm just going to do this. I'm going to do it like this. Or today I'm only going to use semolina. Or today, you know what? Instead of getting my noodles to uh, be made with lukewarm water, I'm going to mix it with boiling water. And you know what? Then I'm going to call Dr. Blonde or Dave Arnold to be like, what's the structural integrity of the, glute, you know, the gluten if I do this, this, and this? You know, real time, this is me figuring it out. The thing that we don't have are the screaming children, the Zoom calls, all that stuff. But I think there's a way to build that in so it's real. And I would love to do that like all the time and make it real, like from eight o'clock to eight o'clock. But maybe I only cook for two hours. Maybe I start bread for two hours and this is what I'm making. Guess what? Maybe we have enough of that. We can edit it the best of that into something that is useful. But I make, I'm going to make a Pullman loaf of bread. I boil a bunch of whatever the fuck. And then you come in or someone else comes in at like 10 o'clock and I'm like, I got this. I'm going to make this and this. So it's a little bit of, of this game of telephone all day, every day, a little bit like ESPN, how anchors would roll into the next hour, stuff that I grew up watching. However it is, what I want is it, what I hope is that there's a pulse. Yeah. Yes, there's things that are planned, but we're leaving things to chance. Yeah. I think you want to take, I think all the stuff we're talking about, the, the Zoom calls and the screaming children, which might happen, but I think we replace that with like, this this studio, like our dream, our I think our collective dream for it is that it is like a living thing. It's not it's not a fake thing. It's Dave is talking about like, okay, Dave Dave's shot his thing from ten to noon. Being you have to do a thing. I open the fridge. I'm like, oh, what's this leftover stuff that Dave left in here? Maybe I'll use this, you know. And like it carries on. And like what we what we don't have because we don't actually live in this studio. And like that's the that's the, that's my favorite thing is like every kitchen studio design from like 1990 to 2020 was like. This is a real house. house. Like, bullshit. Like, ours is not a real house, but we will be there as though we live there because we'll be there all the fucking time. And hopefully that energy translates. I mean, I'm hopeful. Maybe maybe we should not call it a studio. Oh, interesting. Because I think the, the, like, the details on this kind of stuff matter. And I think when we have the mindset of, like, this is our studio, it inherently brings a, a, a sort of falseness to it. it it makes it less lived in and maybe we just need to tap into the discord audience and come up with a new way to think of how to how to name it 
one one idea that I know we're going to do, and I don't know how frequent frequent it is going to be. It's like I want to cook dinner. I want to invite friends. They could be just chefs, and I might get in there like two o'clock, three o'clock, whatever. And it's like okay, I talk about it. It's like this is what I'm going to make. I'm going to do three, four courses. I'm, I'm going to know. It already happens when people come to my house to begin with. Oh, this person has an allergy. I can't do shrimp. I want to do this and this. I debate, do I buy dessert? Do I even make dessert? I don't know. These are the questions I'm going to ask. It's real shit. And my dessert making skills suck. So guess you're having rice pudding again. <laughs> you, you may see me fucking actually work on my pastry skills and get better over time. I want it to be real and see development. Um, I doubt that will happen on pastry, but we'll fucking see. You, you also just, you learn through failing. We say that People say that shit all the time and it's like, you learn through failure and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just want the answer and I want to do it right. And I think that what's going to be really compelling about this for people who actually want to cook is like, I need to learn how to fail 500 times to make it better so I can discern like, what are the steps I missed? What do I change? How do I tweak it without having to go to you? or somebody else to ask for what, what, what did I do wrong? Like, I want to know what I did wrong. Well, again, like if I'm making something in general, I, I know what is in my wheelhouse. I'm going to have some fish sauce. I got kimchi. I got mostly like, it'll be Asian. If not, it'll be Italian or whatever. I'm not going to be making, you know, food of Austria. I might make a schnitzel here or there, <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? Like I don't have a pre-planned thing. So even if you think that somebody is doing it off the cuff, it is still planned. Even if it is live, there was a production meeting, even if it was by one person, they're like, I'm going to make this today. I'm going to buy the ingredients and then I'm going to make it. I still don't think that is real enough because they've already prepared in their heads in the best case scenario. This is the same thing when I talk about friends and family in a restaurant. There is no fucking best case scenario. It never fucking happens. So it creates an unrealistic expectation for anyone else to fucking follow that. So it's like, I, I don't know exactly how it's all going to play out, but like, we'll see um, in terms of that distribution, like, and how we're going to film it. It's like, okay, like I'll fuck up. Guests come in we have a talk and chat. It's like a real, real fucking dinner. Yeah. There's going to be TV, t TVs and cameras and stuff. But like, I think over time we can make it seem like, I'm going to say a talk show, but like, what if the, I've done enough of these talk shows where you do five to seven minutes of cooking and everything else is fucking all the other stuff. What if we had, an hour or two where it's like 90 minutes of fucking cooking and right. 20 minutes of everything else. Like, I don't know. We'll see. In terms of the distribution, you know, maybe it winds up going on a streaming network one day, but there's an alternative right now that's available that a lot of people don't know. Yeah. And that's called fast. Our, 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 our good partner, Chris Chen's favorite word. Fast. How many free, times do you shop fast? Free ad supported television. I mean, interestingly, the fast model for people who don't know, you, know, you talk about Julia Child days. You talk about the early days of this. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, Doc, but like to me, fast is basically full circle to like the original format Completely. of television. And every, every, lot, almost everybody knows what it is. Who you has have a, a TV, TV? You turn yeah. it on. There's all those little boxes that say like the such and such channel, the such and such channel, and it's not like a choose your own adventure. It's just like whatever is on is on, mm -hmm. aka television. Television. It's it's cable that's pre-distributed within your television sets or your Roku or your, you know. Almost every single TV, if you're watching TV right now, it's on a flat screen and it's not even a flat screen that's just a flat screen. It's a flat screen that basically is a smart computer as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And these, these channels are, are loaded in 
and distributed through the software that's built into that computer television. And more and more people are watching it because it's like, yo, I'll, I don't need to pay for cable. I'll put this on. If I want to watch just TV and leave it running, this is, this is available. I can flip through a bunch of things that I really like that I would watch on cable TV if I had it. And there's some advertisements and it's free for me. It's built into my television and it is a massively growing audience. So outside of the inside baseball of like, what is it? It's just what you put on your TV and leave. And more and more as people cut the cord and get away from paying for the cable bundle, you pay for your Hulu, your Disney Plus, your Netflix. And if you want to watch Dave Cook for seven and a half hours, uh, you just put on your fast TV and watch it and watch the Major Domo channel. So this is just, it's, it's also exciting just because it's another... It feels, Dave, like that platform again that I know it, it all feels like it's it's coming back full circle, but it's also this medium where there is definitely that wiggle room again. It's definitely the like, let's experiment and see what happens. Uh, I'm excited to test. I'm just going to let everyone know. It's like, okay, you can make video content. Great. Now do without a net. I mean, I'm just, let's just shake out all the fucking posers here. <laughs> I mean, let's shake out all the fucking posers because I don't want people to say they can do something when they can't. I might land in the poser pile, Doc. <laughs> poser pile? But like, yeah. you know, knowing what you know, it's like how many times somebody is creating something, but they've looked it up meticulously and everything's step by step by step. I don't need somebody to fucking show me how to butcher something blindfolded. That's dumb as fuck. Might be useful to somebody that wants entertainment, but even that has been scripted. So how much unscripted television shit that you see even on your phone is actually scripted a lot everything everything instagram ev like there's nothing that's just be real is even fake you know it's like there's nothing that's not planned it, because you go and be real except some of my instagram feed yeah <laughs> you, you you basically just end up saying like, like planning my day around how to be in the right spot when this stupid notification right. comes up sometimes so, for dave i'm like uh be a little faker. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like those, so some real. of those clips you see, this is like an actual place where people are taking photos. This is the Instagram version. Mm. Like that's sort of what I'm trying to say is like, you know what? Let's make this more useful, more practical. Well, I'm excited to do the stuff that you're, I mean, I think what really resonated for me just now, you're talking about like, it's one thing for me to like pass off something I just read on the internet 15 minutes before the cameras went on as my expertise that I knew about. Mm. Like it's another thing for me to be cooking something and be like, shit, do I cover this or uncover this? Like, let me think, let me think, let me talk through my process here as I make this decision. And then let's see what happens. And like, sometimes I'll be fucking dead wrong. Chris, give us five stars. You give us five stars. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get to do my Ask Dave questions. Why don't we just do them? I just do them real quick. All right. I want to I want to take advantage of the fact that we have two Daves here to do a, a double Ask Dave. And I'm going to start with, I'm going to start with Dave O'Connor. Doc, am I right in remembering or assuming that you are a shoes on inside the house household? I'm a, uh, I'm a white person. So you're shoes on in the, in the house household. What is your reaction if I come over to a shoes on in the house household and insist on taking my shoes off in your house? <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, so first of all, working with you guys has changed my perspective on this a little bit. Mm. I now have 
a set of flip-flops that are my, my house flip-flops. So when I come home, I am, I'd say like up to like 85% of compliance with taking my shoes off, putting my flip-flops on. I definitely don't enforce it on other people. And I also will like forget my phone and run out to the car and then run back into the house and keep my shoes on. I'm not taking my shoes off for those kind of things. So I have, I have been influenced by your descriptions of a different way, a different life. <laughs> Even um, the true, the true if way. If somebody comes over to my house and wants to take off their shoes, frankly, fine with me. I just would be like, you sure? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's on you, buddy. Go for it. But uh, if I were you, I wouldn't. And I'm certainly not asking you to. Chang, have you ever been in a scenario where you went to somebody's house that was clearly a shoes on household and you, I mean, generally, if you go to shoes on household, do you still take your shoes off? Yeah. Have no, you ever, no. if it's shoes on, I don't. Oh, if they're, you follow the house policy. Yeah, that's fucking weird if I take the shoes off. Oh, you, you think know it's why? fucking weird? I don't want to get my fucking feet dirty. So this is the only scenario. I don't want to get my like... feet dirty inside the fucking house. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's right. And that's what you mean, Doc. By yeah. It's up to you. I'm like, okay, uh, your socks might need to be bleached, but go for it. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I certainly wouldn't recommend it. I take them off anyway in most scenarios. And I was just like, it dawned on me that like, it only dawned on me last night talking to my wife when I was like, am I a fucking weirdo? <laughs> like everywhere <laughs> I go taking my shoes off in people's houses, are they like grossed out? But whatever. I, yeah. I also agree with Chang where I'm doing like my own personal assessment of like, are my socks going to get dirtier right now if I take my shoes off? Yes. Um, or my other Ask Dave for Ask Dave Chang is actually my wife's Ask Dave. Chang, at the end of a meal, when it's time to pack up leftovers, do you prefer... Jamie was asking, do you prefer they bring out the boxes and you pack up your own food or for them to pack up your food? I just had to do this the other day at uh, Kobuwabu House. Kobuwabu? Kobuwabu. Kobuwabu. I always say Kobuwabu, like Kobuwabu by Sammy Hager. Kobuwabu is cute, though. <laughs> Kobuwabu. And we ate there a month and a half ago or so, but we went there on last Sunday, brought the kids, and we had some leftovers. And I, I, I debate this. I would rather have the kitchen do it but the one positive of doing it yourself is you don't have to bring the stuff that you will never fucking eat. <laughs> that like one piece of lettuce that the, you know, the pickles are on and that's just going to fucking wilt and stay there forever and remind you of like, why the fuck did that get packed? Right. In its own separate plastic box. Yeah. Like, like they'll make, I don't need the daikon carrot pickle radish thing, you know, um, from time know. to time they'll do like time but to time. But it's also the judging. What I don't fucking like is the judging. The, you know what? The reason why I'm pro restaurants is there's no judging because, the, you, you, you know, it's your hands off. You're in the fate of the runner or the person in the kitchen that's packing your shit up. But if they drop the table, which is now, I think, the, the protocol of choice in, in a post-COVID world. Dropping boxes. Dropping boxes. Yeah. They're seeing. Oh, you like this. Oh, you're wasteful. Oh, <laughs> wow. You are beyond fucking frugal. Packing, right? Packing fucking salt and pepper too. <laughs> Fuck you. you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's judging either way, but when they pack, at least they're doing it quietly in the bus station. When they're looking at your table, you ever get this one where you're like, they say, "How many boxes do you need?" And you're like, "Oh, just two. And they're like, "Uh, what about that? You're not going to pack that one up?" And you're like, 
No, I didn't fucking like it. I don't want to take it home. I don't want to fucking box for judging. That must happen a lot more to you because you order so poorly. (laughs) It's true. The only reason why I like to have them pack it up is like, this this happens very occasionally. I would say like 5% of the time. But what you describe where it's just like, what am I going to take the last daikon pickle back? Sometimes a nice restaurant, a nice a nice staff will be like, oh, and I, you know, I saw you only had one pickle left, so I could give you a fresh batch of pickles. Or, or a that's, lot of times that you may not bring something is because I'm in a hotel and there's no refrigeration. What, what do you want me to do here? <laughs> They're giving you shit. You're like, I'm about to go on a plane or I'm about to go back to my hotel. How am I going to eat this? There are I, two times in the last month in New York, in my, in my town where I live, I told the traveling. server that I was that I was staying in a hotel, <laughs> so I didn't have to take the leftovers. But well, that, that twice. I, I, the fact that that has not been in a curb, your enthusiasm episode is shocking to me. <laughs> I like a restaurant better that's going to at, be like, wait, 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 why aren't you taking this home? Because like, sometimes you go to like, whatever, more on the fine dining side, they're as eager to like take your food and throw it in the trash as, as anything else, like when you're, you're, you're leftovers or whatever. But you go to the Chinese restaurant, the Korean restaurant, Mexican restaurant, they're like, I mean, you're going to take this home, right? And you're like, no, I'm in a hotel. And they're like, but don't waste this. Yeah. It's what like, are you I ordered do? too much food. It wasn't that great. I don't want it. Take it home, yeah. idiot. All right. Now I got my ass Dave's out. Now you can give us five stars. There's so many thoughts about this. You opened up Pandora's box. You got right? more? Go ahead. <laughs> what do you do when a manager or someone comes to your table and they say, you like everything? And again, putting your Larry David cap on. We know what Larry David would do. There's one dish that and they're assuming that you're going to love it. And you're like, yeah. What do you do? Do you tell them the truth? Or do you tell them, I loved it? I don't, I don't, I, I lie. I'm a liar in those settings. I, I, my grandfather growing up was such a dick at restaurants and would also like just, it was so humiliating to go out to a restaurant with him. He was a, a special case, but like, this dude would literally put dollar bills on the table before service and be like, this is your tip. Every time something goes wrong, I'm putting a dollar back in my pocket. Oh my God. And he like thought it was charming and cute. He was not trying to be a dick, but he was so constitutionally a dick that that was the way he was. So I think in those, I think that made me incredibly effusive and dishonest to mm. every front of house uh, restaurant person I interact with. I think asking about a specific dish is the same thing, is, is the same move as coming up to your table being like, is everything still wonderful here? Just like, I never <laughs> fucking like never told you anything that. was fucking wonderful. Why <laughs> did you do that? I don't know, Chang, if I know the person and they're like, what do you think about this specific thing? And I, if I hated it, then I'll, I'll do the same thing you do with anybody who asks for a compliment. You'll compliment something else and try to change the subject. You'd be like, where'd you get these plates? The ceramics are super nice. <laughs> So I was at, when last time I was in New York and went out to dinner with a couple of my friends with Grace, everything was great. It's the kind of Japanese food that I like to eat. That's like homey, sukiyaki, you know, nabis and stuff like that. The one dish that I was like not a fan of was the dish that they thought was their best. And it was a chicken wings and they're, they're delicious. I'm not saying they're not, but for me, it didn't have a time or place, right? It's not like, and they're like, oh, you'll. They expected me to also agree with them. And I guess I was in a very truthful mood. I said, no, I, I, I didn't like it. <laughs> but everything else was wonderful and everything else was wonderful. So what are you supposed to do? Should I have lied and said it was great? Because they, they make 
uh, it, they turn it into a, you know, they scrape it. It's the stupidest thing reverse here. A chicken lollipop. No, it's not a fucking chili, whatever. <laughs> I just, you know, and it was with, you know, with some mala type flavors. I was like, this doesn't make any sense to me. What Should I, I just say, shut the fuck up? No, and get- what I would say is if you're going to tell the truth, I think you have to tell the truth in a constructive way. That's what I would do. I did. I said, it's, it's great. Just not for this restaurant. Yeah. I mean, if, if it's a dish that they have presented as like something they love and I, and I hated it or I don't like it, I will say like, I didn't like it. And here's specifically why. Well, I said it and I could see it was like, again, when Lisa Simpson rejected Raw Wiggum, the, the heartbreak, <laughs> I should cho- cho- choose you and the heartbreak. Yeah. I could see the manager just like, you just cost me my job. <laughs> uh, but like, you no. actually have an opinion that matters. So I, th- I think it's a, the part of the question that's interesting for you versus me. When they ask me, they don't care. They're just, they think it's part of their job to solicit some response. I don't even think they're coming to me asking that in a looking for feedback way. They just think it's part of service to say, are you happy? With the complete expectation that like, Everything's fine. And if it's not, who fucking cares? Because you don't know what you're talking about. When they come to you, there's two different settings. One is like, and I've seen both of these things with you. One is like, Dave is here. I'm trying to take care of him. I want him to love this place and me. And I'm solicitous of like just being somebody who can cook something that you like. And they really just want like Dave's affirmation. And then there's, chefs that already know you respect them who genuinely want your feedback and are like, what do you actually think about this? And let's dig into it. And I think like, that's, that's kind of tricky to navigate, you know, like which hat you're supposed to put on. Like, am I just supposed to make this person feel good? Or do I have something that can actually help them run their business better? Actually? uh, Yeah. I mean, it boils down to who you're talking to, Dave. I, I'm just—it's all like now. Now it's all flashing back. I've had so many meals with you, and here's the thing. And I don't want to ruin this for anybody who's who's going to feed Dave in the future. But uh, pack your knives and go. <laughs> it's just like if he doesn't really care one way or another, he'll just tell you it's great. It's great. But if you if you care and you like the restaurant, you'll be honest. But right. otherwise, you're like it's great. <laughs> I can yeah, hear it I mean, in my head yeah. too. <laughs> I can hear that. It's great. Praise is it's fucked up for people that are not Asian. <laughs> Praise is negative. <laughs> Facts. We started off by talking about shoes in the house. Well, guess what? Another fucking that's a weird thing is if you're being given the good size crab, we don't like. We you. don't like you. <laughs> we don't respect you. <laughs> if you're getting the choicest cut of beef, we don't like you. Right. If you're given a compliment that is above good, like just around good, it means you're bad. Yeah. <laughs> right. The only compliment we accept, though, is five stars. Yeah. <laughs> a four. We'll accept five. 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 Don't fucking don't take this 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 negativity to heart. We still need five stars. <laughs> <laughs>